Have you ever had a bad boss? Someone who couldn't figure out how to do their job with a manual in front of them? Or a coworker who just couldn't get invested in doing their job and ends up dragging everyone else down with them? This happens to all of us, all of the time. After that happens, the struggling company calls in a person like my expert today. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Tiana Sanchez. Tiana owns and operates an organizational training and development firm. In short, she helps people lead better, work better, and be happier where they are, whether fixing bad bosses or encouraging positive cultures. Tiana gives her all for the good of employers and employees. I am rapidly closing in on episode 100 and still taking suggestions for what to do. My original plan fell apart and I need a new one. So help me out by suggesting what you want to hear from me. Email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or send a message to any of the social media pages. For now, let's stop dreading our work days. Welcome to the show, Tiana Sanchez. Good morning, Colton. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? You know, it's, I can't complain. You know, I'm in Southern California and, you know, I don't know when this is going to air, but it's like a few days before Christmas and, you know, it's pretty warm. It's like in mid seventies. So not complaining. No white Christmas, but definitely semi-tropical. Very much so. I'm sure people are a little bit jealous and envious, but that's okay. (laughs) Including myself. (laughs) But thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm very excited to talk. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience? Yes, thank you. So my name is Tiana Sanchez, and I am an employee turned entrepreneur. I currently live in Southern California. I own and operate an organizational training and development firm, which is all to say I go in there in organizations and I help people lead better. You know, so if you've ever worked at a company and you had a bad boss and you said, you know, like, oh my gosh, how did they get into this position or they need help? I'm the person that is called to go in there, kind of assess, figure out where there's some disparities, some gaps, and then work with that individual to become better. So we do that a couple of different ways. Colton, we may provide training and development. We may provide coaching, or we may do assessments on the organizational level or individual level. So I've been doing that about 11 years now. I want to say this is coming up on our 12th year and uh married and i have a couple of kids yeah congratulations that all sounds really awesome thank you yeah so you know what is the uh the operation size that usually calls you in is it like everyone from like a mom and pop shop down to like you know megacorps actually yeah it really can be and has been startups you know very small because my lead in, my foot in the door is usually through the HR department. And so if you're a small startup, you really don't have an HR department yet. So you outsource your HR services by bringing in a consultant. And then on a larger scale, most cases, they will have a very robust program. They'll have several HR people. They'll even have a learning and development department, but they may be looking to partner with someone on a specific topic. Like we've seen this last year, a lot of diversity, equity, and inclusion type of topics. And so they'll bring someone in. So somewhere in there is kind of me right in the middle. I usually will get the organizations that have less than 500 employees. And usually the sweet spot is somewhere between like 175 and 250. And they are looking to have someone come in and maybe develop some training, help to coach some of their teams and, or do an assessment. And so that's usually the sweet spot and it's the director of operations sometimes will call me in. Usually it's the HR person, but if it's a smaller company, it can even be the CEO. Cool. Is this one of those where like you help a lot with the cultural aspect or do you also help a lot with like, some of the growing pains that come at like certain breakpoints where companies, you know, are getting bigger and now they're in a different legal category where you're like, you have more than 
50 employees. I think someone once told me, and they're like, you now have a different medical responsibility. It can, It starts off usually with there's a problem. There's usually something that has occurred on the, let's say on the people side of the business. So for example, the, the most common request I've had, um, Colton, is we have managers on our teams that have recently been promoted that don't know how to manage. <laughs> so that is probably one of the most common. And it's not surprising because you may not know this, your listeners may not know this, but there's only two reasons people get promoted. One of them is seniority. Okay. So I've been here for a very long time, 20 years, 15 years. And so the natural next step is that I have a career advancement and that looks like a management position. Okay. That's number one. Number two is I've had success in a non-managerial role. And so, yeah, it, that means that I'll probably have success in a managerial role. So yeah, I'll get promoted. Neither one of them have to do with skill set, mind you. And management is really one of the very rare positions where you don't have to have years of experience in order to really be promoted into that role. So those are that's really the common request. We have managers in the position, newly promoted, don't know how to manage. The other one, as you put it, we've grown. So maybe not so much during the pandemic, but I do believe there are some companies that have seen growth in the last couple of years, but we've grown and we are expanding. We have to hire and we're trying to put the right people in the right places. And with that process, sometimes their culture does shift a bit. And where I've had organizations where they've been predominantly, let's say, um, men, and they're wanting to be more inclusive. So they're looking to hire and promote more women, but their marketing, let's say, efforts have not really targeted those women or targeted diverse um, applicants. So they are slightly making a shift. And so the overarching umbrella is organizational effectiveness is what I call it. And underneath that, maybe culture, maybe leadership, um, it may be hiring, it may be retention. So there's a lot of things under that umbrella of organizational effectiveness. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds like there could be a lot of growing pains in there because you're like, you know, we used to be a very small company. And so our culture was very obvious because there was only 10 of us. And then as things have grown, like I now need new people to manage certain aspects and no one was ever trained to do that. And also because there's so many new people, we don't have that same kind of like close knit ability to just talk to everyone all the time. So I can see why both of those have like, you know, pretty strong needs. Yes. Is, there, is it best that they can set up for that ahead of time where they're like, okay, we're going to to plan to have leaders, even if we don't have that ability right now? The short answer is yes. And also, do most companies do it? No. And <laughs> that's the problem. So if you were to have a program that was specifically fo focused on grooming the next wave of managers. So like an emerging leaders program, you know, think of it in education, you know, we'll have these emerging, you know, programs for leaders in education, or they'll have these academies, or they'll, you know, have different um, things like that. But we don't necessarily do that consistently in organizations. Why that is, I don't know, maybe I have some theories around that, but absolutely, they should be proactive, they should be looking at the landscape, they should be looking at, okay, where are we headed? You know, 2023, 2025, what's going on? What does our company need? What does our industry look like? And what is going to be required? What type of skill sets do employees need? What kind of skill sets do our managers need? I think about this, Colton, like when I was a manager, I started managing at 17 years old. So just imagine like I had less than six months left to graduate high school. Okay. I'm in high school. I'm 17. I'm managing at a gourmet fast food restaurant, by the way, and had no idea how to manage nothing, you know, nothing whatsoever. But I had mentors. I had people that were guiding me and showing me um, skill sets, but that was, you're talking 1990s. Okay. The way that we managed in the nineties is not 100% applicable to how we manage in the 2020s. And you have to recognize that we're in a digital environment. You have different groups of individuals coming into the workforce with different values, different ideas, different thought processes, and their ability to like very quickly 
understand and assess information. I mean, you know, the digital natives. So, and I have two in different generations. So I have a, I have a 24 year old who's I, who I think is a, I don't know. What is that? That's not, is that a millennial? Gen? I think it's millennial. Millennial. Okay. And then I have a Gen Z and then I'm a Gen X. So our family dynamic is very much like many, I'm sure different generations. But if I were to just say, well, you know, that's kind of how I've managed. I've been managing for 20 years and you know, Hey, 20 years ago, this type of style, this leadership approach worked really well. So I'm going to stick with it. That's really outdated type of thinking. You have to look at where you are and say, okay, do I need to change the way I approach this conversation? Do I need to empathize more? Do I need to ask better questions as opposed to telling? So you, it would be, it would be doing our people in the organization a disservice if we just said, I'm just going to stick with my style and you have to adapt to me, not me adapt to you. That is damaging. And if we were to take more of a proactive approach in addressing some of these things ahead of time, we could better prepare our managers. So are they doing it? No. Should they be doing it? A thousand percent. Yeah. It almost sounds like, you know, some of this adapting to the times you could say like, okay, well, you know, you're going to do it your way because that's what's always worked and we're going to carry that forward. We're also going to carry forward all of the old technology with it. So we're still going to use a fax machine and we're still <laughs> going to, you know, send standard letters and all of these like, you see how as technology has caught up, you have to move with it. Can you imagine if we had to rely on that old technology, how far behind the curve we would be, how inefficient we would be. And that is such a great example, Colton. I'm glad you said it because that is how we need to think about the way we lead, the way we manage, the way we even build our organizations and treat people. It, we can't be living in the fax machine era, you know, typewriter, you know, era or whatever it was. We have to change. And the biggest piece of that is, again, is is communication. You know, we I did a presentation like a week ago and the topic was on change. And I gave these kind of three examples, very personal to me and my work experience. But I kind of tied it into a lesson. And one of them was, you know. I was asking, I was like, how many of you remember BlackBerry? Like, do you remember BlackBerry? The company? Okay. So I was kind of dating myself and then everybody else in the room. I was like, okay. So before there was, you know, the iPhone, we had a smartphone and that was the BlackBerry. You could read emails. It was fantastic. Like everybody in the room, I did like a show of hands. Like I would say 85% of people in the room had a BlackBerry. And I was like, okay, now keep your hands up if you still have a BlackBerry. <laughs> and nobody had a BlackBerry, right? Now, for reasons that really don't have anything to do with this conversation, but they didn't necessarily, well, maybe it does. They didn't evolve. They There was some competition right around the corner in 20, 2007. And they were like, you know, we got this game on lock. Like, we're BlackBerry. We're good. Well, knock, knock. Here comes iPhone in 2007 completely changes the game. Their stock goes from like $250 to less than $5. And the whole point of that is if you don't evolve, okay, so we're talking about, you know, technology in that example, you will be erased. You will be irrelevant. And I believe we can apply that same type of thinking. Your style, leadership style, how you treat people can be irrelevant if you don't make the necessary adjustments and you will not be affected. And it has cost implications, just like it did for BlackBerry. Turnover costs money. Having to hire new people costs money. How, you know, lack of performance because I don't have a good relationship with my boss. And so I don't like my boss. So I'm only going to get, you know, give the bare minimum or, or I'm not going to show up. Absenteeism, tardiness, those things have a financial implication. So you have to be willing to change and do it on purpose and proactively. Yeah, I mean, I think nowhere else in the world can you see some of these, like, just plain not willing to adapt failures than in the tech area. Because I've always heard the stories like Blockbuster got the offer to buy out Netflix back in the day. And they were like, I think somebody had said they tried they had to try really hard not to laugh them out of the office, 
with like a $50 million offer or something. And now, you know, Blockbuster is like, there's one joke store and they right. made that joke store into a TV show that airs on Netflix. <laughs> oh my God, the irony. And I'm like, wow, that's really something. Um, the same thing, I think like Google offered Yahoo, like, hey, you want to buy Google? And now people are like, what's Yahoo? <laughs> like it's the same thing if you don't if you aren't willing to look at new avenues new ways of doing things you know you're kind of treading water instead of getting into a boat <laughs> and we look at technology as well i don't know is it transactional is it you know there's people behind the technology but i think the difficulty colton is why we may not see so many people is you're, you're dealing with people we're asking people to essentially change like technology it's like it's very like there's a term in in my world we call it soft skills right and hard skills so let's say tech represents kind of hard skills you know i can i need to get an engineering you know get some trade skills i need to you know figure out how to code or something like that it requires a level of technology acumen and some you know some hard skills right you know, is there emotion involved? I don't know when you're dealing with technology and coding a computer. Maybe if you get frustrated, but, you know, for the most part, like, let's say it's a hard skill. When you're dealing with soft skills and you're talking about people and you're telling people, I need you to, and you, first of all, you have to tell them the way that you're doing this is not as effective as it could be. Secondly, I need you to try something different. And so having to tell someone who's been ingrained and brought up in an environment where this was the way that they sh were told to operate, this is what they're comfortable with. And really it's comfortability, Colton. It's familiarity. It's what they know. And you're saying, go, go about it a different way. Nobody wants to do that. Or it's very difficult. It's very uncomfortable. Sometimes, you know, there's, it's like the five stages of, of grief when you go through change, you know, you have denial, you have anger, you have all these different things. It's very much like that. I think with change with individuals and even organizations, you will have resistance people that just flat out just don't want to do it. They have to have their hands over their ears or like, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. They resist the change. You have people that are angry. And usually maybe because questions haven't been answered, things haven't been explained. So they're angry, they're frustrated. You have pe people that are maybe even indifferent to the change. They're like, hey, I'm kind of just in the middle, whatever. Whatever the wind blows, I'm there, I'll do it. You have people that eventually hopefully accept, you know, that and they're able to navigate. But I also, I like to say there's another phase, which is kind of the advocacy stage, which is the person who's bringing the others into the fold to saying, no, this is why this is really great. This is why we should be changing this. And they're advocating for it, not just accepting it. So I get why it can be difficult, but if you're not willing, you shouldn't be leading. And that's the that's the short and the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, do you have a team of cheerleaders that is willing to like see things forward and see things change and be positive about it? Or are you kind of dragging anchors? so to speak, where you're like, everyone here is just weighing the whole process down. And, you know, I think you're right in that that could be indifference entirely, where, you know, I've had employers where, why are we have so many new people every year? Well, it doesn't really matter that we have all these new people because we're still hitting our goals. Like, okay, but it's about our efficiency and about, like, you know, how well the rest of us that are staying here beyond a year are functioning with that thought. No, very true. Very true. So I'm very passionate about the work that we do. I'm very interested in changing the way we approach, how we train, train up, educate, equip, inform our teams so that um, we have these, we have better organizations out there doing the, doing the work they should be doing, serving their customers, serving the needs of people, while on the back end, you have a very fruitful, healthy, not toxic work environment where people are thriving. That's the goal. Yeah. And it seems like you really love this. So let's take ourselves back, you know, like 12 years, like you said, what got you into this? Like what made you want to start doing all of this? 
Well, I was forced. If you, if we really are honest with it, um, I would say that an, a situation presented itself, and I chose to see it as a complete positive and have an optimal outlook. Which is to say, I was laid off. I was working in the financial industry. And it was right on the heels of the financial crisis in 2006, seven, eight, all of that. And our the goals for the financial institution had shifted a bit, you know, so they were focused on this one area of product or service. And they said, OK, we're going to shift on this product area of service. And it, you know, many of us in the company didn't do very well. And I was a regional manager at the time. And they brought several of us in, and I believe they were cutting those that often made, I think, had a significant income, but also they were eliminating, I think, the position that I was in and walked into the office and they were like, you know, we're letting you go kind of thing. And I'd never been laid off. I'd never not worked since the age of 16. And so in 2011, May 2011, that was what happened. And I was surprised and I had a lot of time on my hands. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? But I said, okay, well, I could go work for someone else or I could start my own business. And I chose the latter. Mind you, Colton had no bank business experience whatsoever, but I decided to take a leap of faith. And I said, no, I can do this. I'll figure it out. You know, I'm ambitious. I'm, you know, self-starter. I'm, you know, hands-on. I, I got this. I can figure it out. And it truly isn't for the faint of heart for anyone who's an entrepreneur or starting a business but it was and still is, I believe, the best decision that I made. Was it easy? No. But that is how I ended up here. And the business concept was birthed out of what I had been doing all these years. So I mentioned I started managing at 17 and I pretty much never left a management position. So I had always been in that type of role, hiring, training, developing, you know, firing, recruiting, coaching all of that. And I said, okay, well, that's what I know. That's what I've been doing. I feel like that's a talent, a gift that I have. And how can I turn that and monetize it? And how can I make it a business? And at, right at the time, coaching, you know, was, was all the buzz and not that it was new term, right? It's not like coaching is a brand spanking new term, but it was certainly getting a lot of buzz. And I said, yeah, maybe that's, that's it. And so it started off as kind of like just a coaching practice but, you know, now again, we're almost entering our 12th year. It is definitely much more than that. But that was how it all started on the heels of really, really bad news. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of people have found themselves in those positions, especially in the last, I would say, like three years. Starting in 2020, like a lot of people were laid off and had to kind of, I don't know if, if scramble is the correct term, but it seems like there has been a pretty dynamic shift since then because I know a lot of people have started to kind of not accept, you know, what they used to where they're like, I don't have to settle for this, you know, the bare minimum. I don't have to take this job that I don't think I'm going to like. And that seems like a pretty dynamic shift to just say like, you know what? I'm only taking things I like. I'm only going to work you know, jobs I want to work. When when that all happened and what's so remarkable about the pandemic is that it really revealed that all the excuses people were given in times past, like we can't be a remote work first organization. We can't work, you know, from home and do that. It totally revealed that, yeah, you can <laughs> if you put the right things in place. And obviously if, if your hand is for, so the motive, it was all about motivation. No one was motivated to do it. That's why it wasn't done. But when you're, there's a, there was an external motivation called COVID-19 that said, well, we can't work in person. And so that was the, the trigger. That was the thing that pulled the trigger, but people had been quitting. You know, we have, we have people that have involuntarily and voluntarily left their jobs you know, prior to the, you know, COVID found, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and all of that. I think what made this uniquely different is that there was a couple of different categories of how people were quitting. So you have people that were saying, like I would say, I'm unemployable. That's kind of a term I use, like, you don't want me working for you because I know too much and I'm going to require a lot from you as my supervisor, as I should. 
And that might be a problem for you. So I always say I'm, I'm unemployable. But people that were saying, maybe work is too hard. I'm burning out. I don't think you hear me. I don't think you see me. You don't see my struggles. You don't see what I'm experiencing. Um, my mental health is being challenged. Um, I don't get any empathy. And so people are like, oh, well, this is not worth it. So I'm going to leave. Right. Then you have people that were, as you put it, on the end of the layoffs, they were the people that where they had people were furloughed or they business sales decreased. And so they're like, okay, well, we need to lay you off. And so those are the involuntary, you know, term, you know, people that departed from the organization. But then there was another category, and I read about this term before, and I hadn't put a name to it, but it was those that had the silent quit. And the silent quit is that I'm still working here. I'm present, but I'm not mentally present. Like I'm, my body is here, but I'm not here. Like my mind. And it, and that I think is the conversation and the topic that we don't talk a lot about. And that speaks to the work that I do, which is I'm showing up. I'm clocking in. You have me physically here, but I'm not bought. I'm not engaged. I'm not bought in. I am just here because I have to be. It's a check. Um, I don't like this. I don't like that. And that's the silent quit where they're still there physically, but mentally and emotionally, they're not there. And those are the categories, I think, where we're starting to see be revealed and unearthed during this time. And that's, I think, what the pandemic really did was reveal a lot of things, kind of took the you know, pulled the curtain back and you got to see a lot of things that employees were telling their supervisors for many years, but for whatever reason, pandemic hit and, you know, racial tensions went to, an, you know, a, another level that these things started to be more at the forefront. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's people I know that worked in call centers and they're like, oh, we can't run call centers from home because you have to answer phones for the company. And then they suddenly couldn't have people there. And they're like, oh, actually, there, there's a software that we can use that just sends all the stuff to your computer. And they're like, that's it? There's a software? That's all we had to do? And they're like, yeah, that's pretty much it. But, you know, I'm really interested in this, like, silent quit kind of mindset. Or, I mean, lack of mindset, even if you wanted to call it that. Is there, for people that are in that, is there a good way out of that? So the term that most people listening will probably be familiar with that I likened to this silent quit really is the term disengaged. So in the HR world and what I do, that is a very common term called is disengagement or engagement. And in disengagement, there are three different types. And I'm going to get to your question. So the first one is engaged. This is the person who shows up to work. They... Um, contribute to the work that they do. They enjoy the work that they do. They feel like they're making the environment or what they're doing a better place. Like they're completely bought in. They know the, the vision, the mission, and that's the engaged employee. Then you have the disengaged employee, which is kind of in that next level down. Now the disengaged employee is very much like the silent quit. They're there, they show up, they clock in, but they're going to give you just enough they're not going to give you more than that. They're going to do just their job and no more than that. Okay. They're not going to raise their hand for any extra projects. They're not going to volunteer. They're going to show up to the Christmas party, but you know, they may not be as engaged and participate as much, but they're doing their job, right? They they're, they're going to do their job below that is the actively disengaged. And this is to your question. What do they do? So if you're in a distant disengaged category or the silent quit, there still is opportunity for you get up to that engaged category, right? So you have to tap into what is it that is causing you to be in this kind of silent quit mode? Is it, did you have uh, a situation happen that you felt was unaddressed and it's kind of lingering and so you've lost trust in the company and in your supervisor? Have you um, disengaged because your job role changed and you weren't expecting it to look the way that it does now and you not being supported with any tools or resources. And so that's causing you frustration. So there could be a number of things, but you have to explore that and then meet that person where they are. Sometimes, Colton, it's a mismatch. 
I've worked with clients where they were promoted into a role. Remember, we told you the two reasons people get promoted, right? So they're promoted into the role, not necessarily fully equipped, but they were a mismatch. They had success in this one role and then they got promoted into another role and it was actually completely different skill sets required. And the supervisor that they reported was getting so frustrated because they were not doing the job the way that they believe they should. But I'm like, well, do you know this person's skill set? This is how they operate. And so by knowing that, you should realize that this may not be the best fit for them. So there's a number of reasons why people you know, could be disengaged, but you have to explore, you have to find out, you have to meet them where they are, provide them the resources, um, listen without judgment, listen without um, disagreement, or excuse me, you could acknowledge without necessarily agreeing. You may not always agree with what someone says, but you can acknowledge and listen. So if you can capture those in the silent quit category or the disengaged category, there's not, there is a chance where they can move to the engaged category. But once they get to the disengaged, which is that bottom tier, actively disengaged, I, I should say, those are the saboteurs. Those are the, the phrase where you get, there's a bad apple that spoils the bunch. That's the bad apple. They become a virus. They become so toxic that they begin to infect everything else. And you have to, and, and I say this cautiously and not frivolously, um, do some damage control and remove them as quickly as possible. It's like you got to cut out, you know, cut out the poison, if you will. But I say that cautiously because you have to take, if you're going to go that route, you have to look at yourself and say, take some accountability. What have I done to create this actively dis disengaged employee? Have I done what I need to do to ensure that this person is set up with what they need? Because once you get in that category, it is very hard to turn that person around. I don't know an organization that has, the people that I've worked with, what ends up happening is that they the person um, resigns or some bad situation, I mean, bad situation has happened and they're forced to let them, let them go. So those are some of the things to look for and also how you can take the silent quit folks and, and bump them up into that more actively engaged. And not to use like, a hot topic, keyword, whatever it is, it sounds like there could be a lot of like burnout in this where it's like, you know, when you were talking about the disengaged people, you know, they may have felt wronged or slighted in some way. And if that just goes unaddressed for too long, it sounds like that could drag them pretty, pretty rapidly into the actively disengaged group. And now they're like, you know, they're using this perhaps perceived slight or, you know, real slight. And they are just like spreading that across all the rest of your employees where they're like, well, did you know they did this? And like, that's a very, very small difference that, you know, has a real impact because they just go from like upset about it, but keeping it inside to no longer keeping it inside. Oh yeah. It's this, it's that little small little thing like if you think of um you know the, the the not the memes but like a snowball like starts off kind of really tiny and then as it goes down the hill and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and becomes this boulder right it's like it may start off really small i'm, I'm going to tell my coworker that sits right next to me you know what they did like you said or a situation and then it just kind of trickles and then it kind of grows and it gets bigger and skip bigger. so it can start off really small but unaddressed it can be very damaging and I want to say, and you 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 mentioned burnout, that I want to say for 2021, maybe 2020, 2022, I feel like that was like the number one topic, like the number one cause of most people's frustration or disengagement. I know there was a statistic somewhere, especially as it related to women, and there were three things. It was burnout, it was anxiety. And I think stress or something like that. But those were like the number, the, the top causes of, of unhappiness or dissatisfaction in the work environment. But it is a real thing. When you think about it, you're working, you know, minimum 40 hours a week. That doesn't include your commute. If you're working from home, are you working through breaks? I've talked to many people, Colton, that work through their breaks. They don't take break. They don't feel like they can in some cases. They're at home because even when you take a work break, and I'm doing my air quotes, 
you have a kid in the next room doing their homework or you are, have a younger child under five who's not in school yet. And so even on your work break, you're still doing parenting duties. And so you're not really on a break. And then it's all of these different dynamics, these family dynamics that are at play, which is why we hear the topics on mental health. And I'm no mental health expert, but I have a mind, I have a brain, and I know what is healthy for my mind and my brain. And so I can speak for myself. But I set very clear boundaries to the point where my friends joke at me because they know my bedtime is 830. And, you know, I wake up, you know, pretty early and I'm and I'm OK to say no. I say no to something at least once a day. I'm OK. I look forward to saying no sometimes to things. But I set very clear boundaries. And I don't know that people have set those have and even been empowered to set boundaries you know, on the work level and at home. What does that look like? Will my boss get offended? Will he think I'm not a team player? Will I be not considered for a promotion if I don't, if I say no to this? But there are very strategic ways to say no and setting boundaries in, in a healthy way can be one of those things. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people get into that zone where they're like, well, I have to be the perfect model employee at all times, even when you know, we're, we're getting overtime and all this other stuff. Like I have to be perfect. And then you do that for so long that you're like, you can't hold the mold together anymore <laughs> and things start to fall apart. And I think once it gets to that point, it feels like, you know, I've had, I've had real career burnout in my life and it feels like things just fall apart. Suddenly we're like one day, everything is functioning. You're a little stressed. You're a little on edge, but you're okay. And then the next day you're just like, wow, I don't care about any of this anymore. Like it's really abrupt. At least it was for me when I went through it where I was just like, oh, I suddenly don't care about what's happening in this job. And that ended up to me just leaving it because I was like, I can't, I can't work like this. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, did you leave? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did because like. You know, I was no longer, I didn't feel like rewarded coming to work. I wasn't, I didn't feel like a productive employee and I wasn't, and I didn't like my job anymore. I didn't like what I was doing. And so it was just like, all these things just started to pile up really quickly in my eyes. And I'm sure they had been there for a long time, but I wasn't addressing some of that. And I could see that happening really easily when you're like, oh yeah, you're working from home and your kids in the next room, that's very hard if you're like, oh, I'm on my 15 minute break. I wanna go see my kid and check in and make sure everything's going okay. But you're also on a very hard deadline to return to work. And that's, you know, I don't have any kids, but from what I hear, that's not very conducive to parenting to have like a very strict timeline where you're like, well, sorry, it's been 10 minutes and now I have to leave. Right, no, it's, it is. It's true. And it's and it's, again, not something new. And you go back and you look at requests and surveys and employees, even from 10 years ago, that were saying, what do you want most? What makes a great organization? One of them is, you know, having the balance, right? We see the work-life balance, but also an opportunity for flexible um, work times, like working from home or telecommuting was like the, the word back in the day, which is not new. It's so we have to, we have to really open our ears and listen to what people are saying, because I'm sure if someone caught you in the, in the between before you actually said, I'm done, I'm out. And you were feeling the burnout and you were probably exhibiting signs of burnout, you know, or, you know, somewhere along the lines, if you were maybe captured and someone again, addressed it, gave, sat down with you, gave you the time and attention, talked with you, explored other options, because we know options exist. Maybe that could have changed the way you saw your workplace and was like, I don't, not that I don't care. It's just, there's something that needs to change. Maybe if we make the adjustments, it will be better for me, but we haven't, I don't think we're doing a great job doing that. Are there some companies that are exploring that maybe doing a good job perhaps, but we could be certainly doing a better job for people in that arena. And, you know, the more we don't, the more burnout we'll have, the more people will leave or worse, you know, they'll, you know, they may not leave, but they'll have, again, they will be the silent quit category. So we have to take that serious and 
find better ways to address those that are heading toward burnout. Yeah. And I guess I could see, you know, obviously you're the person to ask about this, but is this like a concern that your employers also have where people in the management roles are like, well, I don't want to bring something up if they don't actually feel that way, because then I've put the, like the thought into their mind that, oh, this is worse than you thought it was. Um, is there a lot of that where they're like, I don't want to have this conversation because I might make things worse? I haven't had a lot of that, but I will say when the conversation of burnout comes up, it's usually from the employee. The employee tends to bring it up. When I, I when I get asked for training, burnout is seldom the 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 topic of training. Um, it's usually again, we need, you know, we have managers been promoted on our team that don't know how to manage. Remember, that's kind of like the thing I said in the beginning. Yeah. So it's usually from their perspective. Managers have a different, have a perspective than their employees. Sometimes that align, but oftentimes it doesn't. So my goal is to uncover. So I hear from you. I hear what you believe is necessary and what is needed based on your perspective, because where you sit determines what you see. And you sit in an authoritative leadership role where your goal, your vision is way different than the, than the forward-facing, customer-facing, entry-level worker that um, doesn't attend, let's say, 50 meetings every week, but is literally on the phone, in the office, showing up to the store, they're forward-facing with the customer 90% of the time, where that may be 10% of what you do. So my goal is to uncover, well, what is it that you need from the employees and talking to them and finding out? And sometimes that's an assessment. Sometimes that's a questionnaire. Sometimes that's an interview, a call with them to find out. And it really is can be very different. So it doesn't always come from, from the employer, but I don't, but when it is brought up, they have been receptive to it. It's being receptive to it. Is that going to force you to change though? Is that going to, oh, wow, we realize our employees are feeling extreme burnout. This is what it's causing. So we're going to go to a four-day work week instead. You know, that kind of drastic change. Or we're going to start every day. We're going to end our week with meditation Fridays, you know, or we're going to provide, you know, an hour, two-hour siesta, you know, during the day starting now because we, we've heard our, like, I'm talking that kind of level change. Like, being receptive to it, but then implementing some real change, that is that huge gap that organizations struggle with. So there's work to be done in that arena. And that is where my, myself and my team come in and we work with those companies to help look at some of that. It's a slow process though, I will say, doesn't happen overnight, but I applaud the companies that are out there that are wanting to do the work, they just don't know how, but they're willing and they want to do it. And those are the kind of companies that I like to work with. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to have a willing heart, be, be open to making some changes, be unpopular at times too, but be willing to do the work. Yeah. If you were given like a magic wand to make that situation where you're like, boom, now all companies do it. Is there a change that you think all companies could make that has like that real world impact that starts retaining employees more? Oh, that's such a great question. And I, I would love to give that some thought, but what's coming off the top of my head is the dynamic of the role of the manager as it relates to the employee. There was a, I wanna say it was McKinsey, they created a model and I forget the name of it, but it was basically saying you're moving from organizations to organisms. Organisms are live or living, breathing things. So it's not this hierarchical leader at the top. Everything trickles down, da, 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 da. But it's working like an organism. We're working in, you know, kind of circles where, where this person doesn't always have to report. May They may have to report to three people or they talk to this person and they. So it was very much it was more fluid. It was really the essence of team. So if it were me, ma wave my magic wand, I would probably do away with the whole, in a sense, the hierarchical structure that most organizations have, because in reality, and I'll say this, it may not be popular, but, you know, again, it's very patriarchal. It's very male dominant in a lot of the, the CEO positions. And so there needs to be 
some adjustments, some 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 change within those dynamics to really be, um, I think, more sustainable in the future. And there, the way that we work today um, should reflect what our society and communities look like. And if I work in a community that is extremely diverse, a lot of men, a lot of or a lot of women, but yet my company is ninety percent men. Um, what does that say? So for me, that would be one. But I, I think that is an excellent question. I'm going to give us more thought because I would love to explore. I've never had anybody ask that question. And I love that question. So waving a magic wand. But I'm going to think about it, Colton. But that's my first answer for now. Yeah, no, I like it. It's very interesting because I'm like, oh, how does this work? Because the only image in my brain is very much like the flow chart that you see where you're like, here's one person and they have three people under them and then there's another level and there's three people under them like you know it's a big flow chart and that's how my brain works so where you're like oh it's an organism it's working it's moving it's living i'm like okay my brain doesn't know how to format this but i do want to see it but there's a lot of people that you know like just in talking to random friends of mine where they're like oh if only we use this european model and we worked one less day a week or you know, we had more vacations like X country or, you know, all these things. And then you're like, oh, well, you know, some of these companies are reducing a day a week or they're implementing, you know, not necessarily like a vacation, but inside of the work day, a non-work period. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, these are very interesting. If there was just a thing to do, what could we do to start fixing stuff? You know, because everyone wants the instant fix where they're like, oh, America's no longer a 40 hour a week company or a, you know, country where 32 or whatever it is. And it's like, well, it just like it can't work universally and we would never make that change all at once. But what if we could? Right. And it doesn't mean that that's the answer for every everything. You know, there is a company that I think there there's a term called um, certified B corporations. I don't know if you ever heard of that term, but these are the corporations your listeners can go and kind of Google it. But these are the corporations that have, they have to, to be certified as a B Corp. You have to go through these. I think it's like 10 or 12 different pillars, like their sustainability, like eco-friendly, their value. It's like these 10 things that they kind of grade you on. But these are organizations that really have that kind of progressive forward movement that their values are very strong in that they're open to change and doing things different. And one of the companies on the um, certified B list they would, here's what they did. And I, I just, was, I was so amazed. Number one, they, they allowed you to bring your dogs, which is really cool. A lot of companies are doing that. They also had a childcare facility on site, on site, not we're going to give you a stipend to pay for childcare. We're going to have childcare on site. Okay. So that was novel. Um, then during the day, they take like an hour or two off during the day. And it's like a leisure. It's not a nap. It's just kind of, you know, hey, we're going to take two hours out of the day. I think it was two, might've been an hour. And this is just your time. Take a little break, whatever, whatever, come back to work. Okay. That was the other thing they did. Then they said, Hey, is there a cause you believe in? Well, guess what? We're going to let you volunteer X amount of hours every month, every year for your cause, cause that matters to you. And on top of that, we're going to donate and contribute and match a cause that is important to you. So I've named about maybe four or five different things, right? So it's not a one size fits all solution. It's the four day work week. It's the this, it's that. It's finding, I don't even want to use balance, but I like the term blend. It's a, it's, it's a blend of a few different things and it's listening. It's listening. We've had so many listening sessions over the last two years. Let's have a listening session. Let's have a town hall. Let's have a this. Let's have a that. Okay, great. What are you doing after they tell you? You've listened. Great. Here's your gold star. Now what are you doing about it? And I get you can't do everything all at once. It takes time. But what are the things, the five things that you can start doing that don't require a whole bunch of time, a whole bunch of money, and a ton of resources that you can start doing now. Case in point, one, oh, maybe we can start identifying a cause that we can rally behind. Is that going to cost you a lot of money? Maybe you don't do the match today, but hey, as an organization, we believe in blank. And as an organization, we're, gonna, we're going to rally behind and endorse such and such or whatever that is. There are things that can be done that don't require money. 
It's just a matter of doing it. So it's not a one size fits all, but it, there are things that these companies can be doing. And that's the, that's, again, that's, that's the truth as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, it's very much like, you know, you had this town hall setting and you gave the good perception to the employees that you are listening to them because you assembled them all and you did listen to them. But if there is no further response than that, there's nothing fixed, there's nothing done. I feel like you've changed the message from like, we're listening to, we don't care. Because <laughs> you're like, yeah, we physically heard you say something and then changed absolutely nothing. And that's because what you said doesn't matter to us. And it does more damage than if you would have asked him at all. Yeah. You You would have been better off not having the town hall. You would have been better off and... You have to be able to set the expectations. And again, it's not saying we're going to do everything that is proposed or mentioned or every idea that is shared, but it is saying, here's what we heard. And from that, here's what we identified as some priorities and what we can begin to implement within the next six to 12 months. Here's some things we can implement within the next 12 to 24. We'll revisit this at such and such. And it's really having a plan and setting the expectation and communicating that throughout the year. Not every once in a while, but really honing in on that communication because people want to hear from you. Hey, what's going on? I shared my idea. Hey, we, we have this town hall. What's, what's going on after that? And keeping them in, in the loop so that they know what's happening. So. Yes. So if anyone's listening, they work for a company or you're the manager of a company, you've had these listening sessions and town halls, and you can honestly say, we haven't done anything with it. I want you to make a new commitment that you're going to revisit that, that you're going to go back and you're going to say, you know what? We had some good ideas there. I want to go back and revisit it and and make that your 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 first subject item on that new on that meeting agenda in 2023. And start there. Don't beat yourself up about what you didn't do. Just start now and say, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm choosing to make a better choice, better decision. Yeah. It's it's following through and not a New Year's resolution, so to speak. Oh, the New Year's resolutions. <laughs> yes, because that happens everywhere all the time. And everyone, like, it's become such a joke that I feel like we should use it as analogies for other things that we're not where you're like is your town hall a new year's resolution or are you actually going to follow through on it right right i i i don't know what i feel about new year's resolutions i don't want to knock them you know people like them people love them i'd rather just have a strategy i call it a life strategy i focus on what are the goals that i want to achieve just overall in my life and then i look at it every year and how do i accomplish that am i closer to getting that goal you know for me i have three goals right now it's like okay i want to be fluent in Spanish. I want to explore a new business venture that has nothing to do with training and development, believe it or not. And I want to, um, one of my goals is to really share that an idea worth spreading, right? So, you know, the TED Talk mantra and 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 share that idea with others who can be greatly impacted. And, and it's like, okay, well, in my life strategy, where am I in that goal? Is it a three-year goal? Is it a five-year goal? Is it a one-year goal? And how do I get there? So for me, it's time and it's reward. So it's not a New Year's resolution. It's I'm doing the same thing every year or I'm looking, I'm getting closer to achieving those every year. And then when I check one off, I'm fluent in Spanish. If that's my goal, maybe I'll add another one. And then I add that to the timeline. What's the reward? How long is it going to take me to get there? Da, 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 da. And that's how I look at that. Yeah, I like it. I have, yeah. I have started doing something. I don't know where I got the idea. So let me pitch it to you. Um, I have just started basically like a running one year marker against myself where I'm like, okay, I'm going to compare everything I'm doing now to what it looks like with just me one year from now. So I'm like, what if I, you know, start learning a language? How does me one year from now look? And it's not like, oh, we're going to sprint to that point. I'm like, no, because at the one-year point, I'm now looking at the two-year version of myself. Like, how is two-year me doing? So it's just like, I'm trying to keep myself always one year from whatever I'm doing. That way I have a realistic timeline where I'm like, it's still a year away. But also, I can see, you know, plot in my head because I'm very much a numbers person. 
what does it look like over the year? What have I accomplished? What am I going to do? Even though I'm, you know, making up an image, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do over this next year from right now, from whenever? So it's like every day is a new year's resolution because it's a whole new day. So it's a whole new day for the one year from now, me too. Do you all, do you like, so let's say June, 2023, you're thinking, what am I, what, what will learning a new language look like be for me in June, 2024? Yeah. Is it like a year from whatever date you are? Yeah. It's just literally like, I mean, today is a bad example because we are really close to the new year. <laughs> But yes, I started it like a month ago. And so I was like, okay, so November of 23, what is this going to look like if I start it right now? And then I kind of just use that to like, you know, pet myself up where it's like, it's a little bit of a competition, even though there's absolutely no one I'm competing with. But I'm like, oh man, one year from now, I'm going to be so good at that. I need to get better now so that I meet that goal because I have myself relying on me. <laughs> like when I get there, I'll have looked back and been like, oh yeah, one year ago, me said, this is where I'd be. Do you have rewards or consequences if you don't get that? I don't. And I am still okay. very much working out this uh, whole Okay. No. Thing. And that's why I'm asking. This is interesting to me because it's on the surface. It kind of sounds like I want to say it was one of the coveys. I don't remember which one was like, you start with the end in mind. And so you're starting with, a year from now, which is the end, let's say that particular goal, but it's really not because like you said, it's going to be continuous year over year, but it's, what does that look like? What am I doing? You know, how much, let's say it is speaking another language. Um, you know, how much have I learned? How will I know that I'm fluent in that or have gained some skills? Oh, that means I can hold a conversation fully for two minutes in Spanish with, with a Spanish speaker in by the next year, that will show me, that will be my proof that I have accomplished this particular goal. I can hold a conversation for five minutes with a Spanish speaking person without using English words. And that will help me to decide that I, you know, have, have, have met that goal, let's say something like that. So some kind of a, a visual or some kind of a something that that leads you to say, I've done it. This is how I know I've done it, because I'm able to do this kind of thing. And not there needs to be a consequence, but maybe a reward, you know, Hey, I'm going to take a trip to whatever, whatever, <laughs> something. I don't know. I like rewards in my goals. Yeah, of course. And it's like, I, I just like the idea in my mind because I do very much work from the end backwards Like as a, you know, when I learned it, like as a writing principle and now I just use it all the time. I like the idea that, oh, in one year I'll be able to hold that five minute conversation. And so when I get there, I'm like, Hey, I accomplished that five minute conversation. Hey, one year me, what are you doing? And you know, the next your version of me is like, oh, I'm taking a trip. We're going to be in that country speaking that language. And right. Like, oh, man, one year me is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. Well, you let me know how that goes. I know you're kind of fleshing it out, but I like the idea of of a kind of a year snapshot, you know, ahead. And, and you know, what am I doing? What am I looking like? You know, what do I sound like? What kind of books am I reading at this point? Hey, I'm, you know, again, all surrounded by that one particular goal, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to wrap this up because I know I've kept you a while, but uh, I kind of wanted to wrap this up. If you have any kind of advice you would give to somebody who has just hit that hard point where you're like, I've just been laid off or I just quit my job because I could no longer work there. Like, what is your advice moving forward into whatever their next career is? Breathe, first off, because it could be a shock to the system when you find yourself out of a job and unemployed, as I did several years ago. But take a deep breath and breathe. And that, I know that sounds like, okay, well, of course, I know to do that. But I mean, really, give yourself a moment. Relieve the stress, the worry, the anxiety, and the thoughts that are going to come to your mind right now when you think about, oh, my God, I got bills to pay. I got da -da 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 -da. Just breathe and kind of just let that happen first. The second thing is, is really assess and kind of inventory. What is it that you want to do in this chapter of your life? You know, again, this is a chapter. This is a chapter in your book. However you want to look at a scene in a movie, whatever analogy works for you, but assess what is it that you really, really want to do? And let's say, Hey, I, I do want to, you know, work for myself or I want to, you know, do write a book or whatever that is. 
And to your point, maybe it does mean going back into a nine to five for now, but then you know your ultimate goal is to do this thing. But take the time to really think about, because when was the last time you asked yourself, what do I really want to do? Am I happy here? Am I doing meaningful work? And so kind of, you know, assessing in that in that moment, because you got time, you're laid off or you're, you know, voluntary or involuntary, take the time to do that. Next, after you've asked yourself that question, what do you want to do? Look at the talent and the skills and the gifts that you have already. So I want to do this. Okay, well, what do I possess? And that'll help you determine, do I need to, to get some additional education? Do I need to go to school? Do I need to, you know, um, enroll in a program? Because in order to get to whatever that 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 next step is, you want to make sure that you're equipping yourself to be able to do that. And if you do decide that you want to go back into you know the work environment, think about how you want to show up, how you want to market yourself, how you want to promote who you are and what you do. And you never do anything by yourself, by the way. So I would partner with people that support you, that can help you. Maybe someone's really great at resume writing. Someone's really great at LinkedIn profile. They can help you there. Someone has a network. You can you know nurture. You can talk to that person there. So there's a there's a community around you that can support you. But that would be initially some of the things that I can that I would uh, tell you to do in this short period of time. But, um, you know, think about it for yourself and you might have some other unique ways. For me, I'm very rooted in my faith and and that helps me for some. That may also be something that you can do as well and get support in that arena. For me, it wasn't a. It wasn't initially early on what I've envisioned myself 10, 11, almost 12 years later in the place that I am today with the thriving business, 12 years in the game, having um, really, really solid, great clients, a team of consultants working with me. I didn't think that 10, 11 years ago, I was just laid off trying to figure out my life and, and things. And there has been a lot of work put into that. And it's been consistency and have there been some bumps in the road? Have I had moments where I feel like a failure? Have there been moments where I'm like, oh, I feel so defeated? Absolutely. That's where you start grounding yourself in whatever it is, if that's your faith, your values, others, people. And that helps you to center you and kind of anchor you. And that was a word you used earlier, and I love it. So there's a lot. There's a mouthful there, but you pick out a buf- like a buffet, what resonates with you. And I say start with that as a step one. Yeah. And I think that is a really good first step. Whatever this buffet is, like make the plate you're building it on breathe. Yes. <laughs> and yes. don't just uh, like take a deep breath, feel it, breathe it out, relax, take a moment. You realize that you have more time than you think because I think we rush through every day really fast intentionally because we're like, well, I have to get through it. But if you stop and breathe and think there is a lot of time in the day and if you are newly unemployed for whatever reason like you've got even more of it so take advantage of every second you got there and then you know think on this list we just gave you and you know utilize that so i have appreciated this immensely i wanted to make sure people could find you you know if they go looking for you and more of your stuff and more of your like your books that we didn't even get to talk about make sure you reference them because I want people to be able to find all these things and, you know, keep up with you. Absolutely. Thank you, Colton. I enjoyed our time as well. So if you want to find me, it's very simple, super easy. TianaSanchez.com. Can't get any easier than that. And there's a ton of resources on there. There's some free stuff, some goodies. And you also get to to see a couple of the books that I've written, one of them called Undefeatable. So that really is a story about that transition of me being laid off. So if you're in that season right now, it's a great book to take a look at. And then the second book, which is effed up the upside of failure. It kind of is like, okay, now I'm in this transition. I'm starting to explore some things, but guess what? I have some failures along the way. How do I not get defeated? Right. And so, but I'm failing through this. And so it's about failing upwards. And so that's another book, but there's so much information on there. So I invite you to come visit the site, connect with me. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me there, all, you know, different social media platforms as well, but I love LinkedIn. I'm going to just say that right now. So, but I look forward to connecting with you. Awesome. Well, I hope people check you out. And then if they are picking up your books from online retailers, please leave good reviews for it because that helps everyone else find it. I am sure everyone is so tired of me saying that, but I say it with everyone because it's so important. 
So I'm like, please hear me, <laughs> like leave good reviews because then more people get to find these books and enjoy them like you just did. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you again for being on. I have appreciated it. My pleasure. Thank you. Do you feel more informed having listened to this episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast? If so, please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you really liked it, remember to subscribe for more episodes and check out those nearly 100 episodes that I've already done. Let me know what you'd like to hear next by reaching out and emailing me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or by sending a message to any of the show pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. That's it for this week, and in fact, this year. Enjoy the last couple days of 2022, and I'll see you all back here on the very first Monday of 2023. Bye bye